Old Boys Club, a podcast where two young women explain the ins and outs of Australian politics. And there is no such thing as a stupid question. My name is Justine Landis Hanley. I am a Melbourne based journalist and I used to work in politics very briefly. Ah, but you still did it, didn't you? Yeah, yeah, okay. You still did it. You walked into Canberra, into whatever it's called, Parliament House. You were wearing a little pantsuit. You know I saw the picture on your Instagram. <laughs> you looked really nice. You know that you this look is very like a, professional. It's a job. Like, anyway, well, what, do you, what do you do? I'm Matilda Mosley. I'm also a Melbourne-based journalist, and I haven't been to Canberra. Not even, even once. I can't even say for shame. I would really like to turn around and be like, for shame! But being going to Canberra is not like, yeah. Good for you. What's it like? It's cold. Oh, don't care. Go on. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Coming up on the show this week, how Facebook finally booted controversial MP Craig Kelly off its platform. Boy, does that man have some interesting COVID opinions. (laughs) Why has Australia blocked people from coming in from India? Uh, It's a problem on a humanitarian level. And it's not great. Um, And for our big topic today, we talk about how Scott Morrison told a church conference that he is doing God's work and why that made so many Australians kind of uneasy. Who knew that Pentecostalism was going to be like the line in the sand (laughs) that we as a society drew when it comes to having religious leaders? But first, Matilda, how was your week? Oh, my week was delightful, Justine. Tell me. I went to Sydney. Yes, I know. That's Sydney. why we couldn't have a full episode last Okay. Week. We don't need to play the blame game. <laughs> I, I'm I allowed to take a holiday. Uh, excuse me. It was a working holiday, actually. I didn't even take any days off. Oh, really? Yeah. yeah. Mm, took a day off the podcast. But oh. <laughs> um, so my boyfriend's very neat and orderly. That's why he's a producer and I'm a mess of a reporter. Yes. It, it makes sense. Makes so much sense. Very clear. Um, so on my way to Sydney, I like popped all the meds that I needed in a backpack to take. Okay. And then just throughout the course of traveling, um, <laughs> the lids came off them. <laughs> They've become loose. Okay. They're, I, they're no longer in packets. It seemed like a lot of work <laughs> to empty it all out in the little pocket of my backpack and then put them all back in the bottles. So I've just been (laughs) using the pocket of my backpack as a sort of like a large pill receptacle (laughs) where I just fish out loose pills to take. Poor poor man's pill receptacle. And then Anthony saw me doing this this morning and I I saw something in his eyes just (laughs) permanently change in the way that he views me. Man, like he's folding his socks and then I'm just there reaching into my bag, pulling out loose pills and hoping for the best. (laughs) Oh, my God. Do you, okay, are you okay? Are you feeling fine? I'm feeling fine. I think I've got them right so far. <laughs> it's just one of each. If I faint during the podcast recording, you I'll, know why. I'll know why at least when the medics ask me why is this It's happened, like, oh, wow, like... she's meant to take her meds. She took just like three dirty mints. <laughs> <laughs> How's your week been, Justine? Um, my week has been good. It Today was – so we record this podcast on a Thursday. We, we bro- do indeed. We Put it out on a Friday. I think we have a Thursday energy about us. Do we? Beleaguered. (laughs) I thought you were going to be like getting excited for the weekend. No, no, I'm not. I'm so old nowadays. I like look at the weekend and by the end of the week, I'm just like, oh, I need a rest. (laughs) Oh my gosh, so every every week when I go into like 
my office job, like my mm. I work as, when I work at a women's media company, and like one of your five office jobs that you yeah, have. Yeah, they're so and they're so lovely, and they're they're like, "What are you doing this weekend?" And I want to say something interesting, but to be honest, I'm just like, oh, like, I'm so excited. I'm going to fold my washing and take a nap. Like- the first time I came over, you, I was like, how have you been? And you've been like, I've been so good. I've just watched all of High School Musical, the musical, the series. <laughs> that was a highlight for me. That was a You're 26, Sunday. Justine. Yeah. And I, I know my priorities. My priorities are napping and cleaning my house. Oh, I would love to clean. Go on. How's your week been? Yeah, Please tell you. Do you like the fact that you've also been like, I work at a women's media company. Like you're not as part of your story about how your week's going to be revealing say, what yeah. women's media well, company okay. you work at. So I didn't want to, I never wanted to talk about, it's pretty easy to find out because it's like on the internet. But when I was doing this podcast, I never wanted to say who I work for because I work for another podcast shame <laughs> traitor actually no i take that back we you'll love- see why yeah, so, i owe them my life so i work for shameless media which runs shameless podcast i'm a researcher on their new show so the reason that my day has been so crazy is because today i was on the bus on the way to an appointment and i'm like groggily listening to shameless podcast as i do every thursday because they release their episodes on thursday astute what a wonderful employee i know (laughs) i'm a big fan um and suddenly i hear them say my name and i'm like looking i I, i'm I'm so groggy still that i like look around i'm wondering if i'm at works and i've just dozed off or something and i realize no it's because they're saying my name on the podcast because they're shouting out and recommending old boys club on the podcast. Oh, my God. I just be very, very exciting. It was, ex- it was, we, we're just like brand new. We're a baby podcast. Like, it was, they're one of the biggest podcasts in the country. It, this is just us recording ourselves having a slow, nervous, nervous breakdown. Break. <laughs> <laughs> um, the, yeah. And, and I think it, I just want to be very clear. Like, I never asked them to do that. Like, I never, like, I never even mentioned that I worked for Shameless on this podcast because I never wanted to. I don't know, like, feel like I was piggybacking off the fact I work there. Like, I, I never wanted to associate I those thought two we clearly. Were, I thought we were piggybacking off our just, like, gorgeous good looks. Yeah, absolutely. And our Twitter. Yeah. <laughs> and, our, and our Twitter presences. I thought the um, tits were doing the work, but maybe it's shameless Yes, instead. maybe. <laughs> um, so, like, for them to shout it out, it was, like, just so thrilling because we're – I'm, I'm – messing around we're incredibly grateful we are so and- grateful and excited and it means it means that if you're listening to this podcast there is a very good chance you have come to this because you heard that recommendation and if you have one of those people hi welcome welcome we're so happy to have you here um we hope you're enjoying the show and thank you so much for everyone who's written to us and shared it and and also if you are listening right now uh, and we ask this in most episodes but it's genuinely so 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 helpful for us getting the word of the podcast out there um the best thing you can possibly do to support this podcast besides leaving it a review which please please leave us a review is if you take a screenshot of it right now and pop it on your instagram story and tag us at old boys club pod and then we'll share it and then we'll send you a message saying thank you so much yeah we send a lot of emojis when it happens we were we do doing this thing in our second episode where we were shouting out people 
um, at the start of the podcast who mm. did this, but so many people did it this week that we are going to yeah. shout you out. It's just going to have to go at the end of the podcast. Yeah, because it's gonna, there's going to be like 15 minutes. It's, like it's, it's going to be like the end credits of the Avengers movie, just like a lot of people going oh, through. Oh, sorry. <laughs> I'm actually hot, so I don't know what the Avengers movie's oh, fuck, end credits okay. are like. <laughs> So for our first story this week, Federal Member of Parliament Craig Kelly was kicked off Facebook after breaching the platform's misinformation policy. Matilda, who's Craig Kelly? Well, that's funny that you ask. Um, (laughs) He is a member for Parliament. I said that. Uh, Okay. He's an elected official in the lower house of the Australian federal government. Okay. Um, So he was a liberal and he was part of – so we've – been through the government's the Liberal National Coalition, mm-hmm. and between those two parties, uh, there's the front bench, which is all the ministers, yep. and then there's the back benches, which is all the nuffies. Okay, so just like to clarify, <laughs> you know, in like high school, there's like the popular people, those are the front bench, the people who like you look back and you're like, hey, did I go to school with this person? Like, us, you just, us, us. <laughs> that's Craig Kelly. If you can imagine us in high school. That's where we're sitting. Yeah. And Craig Kelly was firmly in the group of people who you look back 10 years later and go, who was that but person? But like the kind of toxic ones because he's part of the um very right-wing conservative backbench kind of collection. He was sort of in that group of people. That little club within the Liberal government. Yeah. But then when the pandemic kicked off, his Facebook went bonkers and he posted a lot of stuff that people found very controversial. Like what? So we're talking supporting unproven COVID treatments like hydroxychloroquine. We're talking some Trumpy stuff, some climate change denial. We're talking posting an article which says that making children wear face masks is akin to child abuse. It's kind of like, you know, that everyone in their family, I think during the pandemic, or everyone knows somebody who kind of went like a bit weird during just like just buying buying into that misinformation, Bonkers. that conspiracy train, like yeah. sharing some articles that are like two minute read, and yeah, like it was like some sort of fact sheet that's just like a screenshot off WhatsApp. Yeah, Craig Kelly <laughs> is your government equivalent of that weird relative in your family. Yeah, and thus we shall be calling him. Uncle Keza from now on. From now on. From here on forth. (laughs) So Uncle Keza was doing all this stuff. And what I mentioned about the forcing kids to wear face masks, child abuse thing, you might think to yourself, one second, Kezi's part of the government. The government supports face masks for kids over 12 in certain circumstances, in certain states, whatever. Isn't he saying that the government is supporting child abuse? Hmm. Yeah, (laughs) kind of. Um, and was the government uh, not happy about that? Definitely not. Did they do much about it? No. No. Why don't you take us through what the kind of consequences all of all of this was? So Craig Kelly was getting a lot of trouble in the media about his posts on social media. Facebook was he was suspended once, some posts were taken down, others were labelled misinformation. So Facebook was kind of stepping in and it was raising a lot of questions like why isn't the government calling this guy into line? Because it was also really successful for him. He got 86,000 followers on Facebook. And he he was the most engaged with on Facebook. So even though he didn't have like the most followers out of any politician, he had really high engagement. But it wasn't until early February that he actually – things came to head with him and Scott Morrison. So back in February this year, he appeared on, you know that My Kitchen Rules chef Pete Evans? Ooh, I'm aware. Who kind of also went a little bit weird during the pandemic. Yeah. Promoting a lot of misinformation. The occasional Nazi symbol. Unclear if it was intentional. But definitely a definitely Nazi symbol. Definitely a Nazi symbol. So Craig Kelly appeared on Pete Evans's podcast talking about COVID and these kind of like misinformation conspiracy theories. 
As a result of this appearance, the Royal Australian College of General Practitioners accused Craig Kelly of enabling a conspiracy theorist and spreading misinformation. And the reason why this is so significant, as you were saying before, is because he's a member of the federal government. He's a representative for the Liberal National Government and the policies that they're standing for. And they were standing very firmly against this misinformation the government's line the whole way through the pandemic is like we're following the medical advice we're Mm. following the medical advice so after he made this appearance the prime minister apparently is understood to have called up craig kelly and said he needs to respect expert medical advice but even so after the call craig Uncle Craigie, sorry. Uncle Kezer, actually. Uncle Kezer, sorry, um, called up the ABC and said that he would keep pushing for Australia's medical authorities to change their position on these kind of like controversial treatments, um, despite the fact that the Prime Minister had called him up. And to be clear, it's been months of misinformation posts to get like a private dressing down by the PM. Like people were calling for the PM to like publicly censure him, but they didn't want to do that. Now, Matilda, why didn't they want to do that? Okay, well... I'm supposing, but it would be a logical conclusion to reach that what they didn't want to happen was to crack down really hard on Uncle Keza, who they know is a bit of a loose cannon, and then to have him go, nah, fuck yas, I'm leaving the Liberal Party, I'm joining the crossbench. And that's scary for them. Like, tell me why that would be and ended up being scary for them. So the reason why that's scary for the coalition is because Back in the 2019 federal election, so the last federal election, the coalition only won 77 seats out of 151. So they only hold the majority by like one seat. They need at least 76 seats to hold government or they fall into this trap of a scary thing called a minority government where basically they have to do deals with independents to have enough numbers to guarantee that they can pass legislation through the lower house so that they can maintain government. And basically it fucking sucks for the government. Suddenly one single independent has like more power than the federal government, which is a big deal. Yeah. Um, Yeah. So that's what they didn't want to happen. But turns out that they shouldn't have worried because then at the end of February, Craig Kelly quits the Liberal Party. Yeah, they're like, oh, we don't want to publicly censure him. He might leave. We'll give him a private dressing down in there. And he's like, nah, fuck yes. I'm going to the cross bench and becoming an independent. He was more of a loose cannon than they expected. Yes. <laughs> and now because the coalition only has 76 people in, like the coalition in the lower house of parliament, they haven't really got like any room to lose anyone else. Well, that's it's fine though because like no one more controversial than Craig Kelly would come along. Sure, yeah. Yeah, so they it, it's fine. not going to be a problem. No. What's that? Knock, knock, it's Andrew Lemming. <laughs> <laughs> Andrew Lemming's a story for a whole nother time. Fast forward to this week, back to Craig Kelly. Craig Kelly gets kicked off Facebook for good and he is pissed. So he was posting ever since he was an independent and then all of a sudden Monday comes along, Facebook's like, You're done. Out. And he is saying that this is a form of censorship. Disrupting the Australian democratic process. Getting rid of freedom of speech. Absolutely outraged. And now he's actually preparing a private member's bill to regulate social media so that they can't just kick politicians off their social media platform. Now he's he's got fuel to the fire. He's got real fuel to the fire. He's got an axe to grind with Facebook. Craig Kelly part two, now it's personal. For our second story this week, Australia has announced it's blocking any commercial flights coming in from India. Now, this temporary suspension is going to last until around May 15, and at that point the government is going to review the decision. Matilda, why has it come to this point? Um, India is not in a good way when it comes to COVID. Like, it's genuinely really not 
great. It's heartbreaking. It's yeah. So what what happened? So India actually did quite well in the first wave. Like mm-hmm. for the massive population that they have, you know, they were commended across the globe for how well they did. Mm-hmm. But coming into this year, there was some problems, I guess, in terms of leadership. I think the motivation to keep social distancing and keep, you know, large crowds down waned a bit. So uh, Narendra Modi, the prime minister, was holding giant election campaign rallies. He was bragging about the sizes. He was holding football games. I think, you know, someone from his party, not him, was declaring COVID defeated, essentially. And it wasn't because there are mutant strains. And essentially it's not clear which strain is the dominant one, but a number of highly contagious strains began sort of spreading through the community. That plus the massive population plus, I don't want to generalise and say, you know, everyone in India is living in like crowded situations, but there's large portions of the population who do live in very crowded sort of very accommodation. Dense areas. Population density is extreme in some cities, mm. which means that social distancing isn't really an option, even if you're trying really hard a lot of the time. Mm. And basically all of this combined to just create an explosion of COVID cases. So we're talking one week would be 89% up in cases from the week before. At this point, we're talking 350, 360-ish, 100,000 cases a day, and that's vast underestimates. That's the cases that health authorities know about. We're talking about 3,000-ish deaths a day. Again, there's all these problems about whether we're even getting a fraction of the deaths in the cases. It's gotten to the point where many regions and hospitals in those regions have run out of oxygen supplies, people. Mm. So it And this is what we were talking about when we're talking about flattening the curve all the way back when that feels like 100 years ago. It's about the fact that hospital systems become overwhelmed to the point where people, even with milder cases of the virus. Who could get better with very minimal treatment. With a ventilator, you know, like Mm. something just to pump air in and out of their lungs for a few days will die because there's just not the capacity to be able to treat everyone. So Mm. essentially it's getting to the point where the hospital systems are breaking down. And I don't, again, I don't want to make this generalization. There are places that are doing much better. There's, you know, we're talking about a population of more than a billion, but essentially, yes, it's getting to this point where highly contagious variants are out. And what that ended up translating to for us in Australia, besides just being human and really not enjoying that that situation is going on, is that the returning travellers from India, there was a lot higher density of people who did have COVID who were coming Mm. back and not only had COVID but had the COVID variants that we're particularly worried about and have shown at least anecdotally to be more commonly spread and turn into outbreaks within hotel quarantine systems, which is essentially the only place Australia can get COVID from now is from those hotel quarantines. And so as a result, the government's national cabinet, which is basically representatives from all the state and territory governments and the federal government, came together last week and made a decision to reduce the commercial flights and the repatriation flights, so the flights getting Australian citizens back to Australia, coming from India by about 30%. And so that kind of appeased people for a second, but then WA went into a snap three-day lockdown because of an outbreak within hotel quarantine that was originally the sort of catalyst for that was someone who had returned from India with COVID. And that was when pressure started really ramping up on the federal government to do even more. There was a lot of fear about the planes fulls of people coming from India. And that's when the announcement was made that the government was going to temporarily halt flights coming in from India to Australia. Now, it's important to note that Australia is sending 
500 ventilators, they're sending oxygen supplies, a million surgical masks um, and other PPE to India as part of their humanitarian effort to help with the crisis that's going on there. But with that same token, there are about 9,000 Australians in India who want to return home, who are on the list of people who want to return home and can't now. And there have been horrible stories of families that have been separated for a really long time who had finally got their flights between now and mid-May who now have had those flights cancelled. I just want to quickly break down when we're talking about these Australians who are trapped in India. Can we talk a little bit about, I guess, the rhetoric versus the reality of the situation that these people are in? Because I think a lot of what's being said, it's difficult because you have to – I'm tra- trying to trade carefully here. I don't want to be accusing – politicians of creating a dialogue that isn't doesn't exist but a lot of the rhetoric has been about oh people have you know been going over for weddings and going over for funerals and going over you know almost sort of the implication being like people are leaving australia for a little bit of a holiday and going to india getting covid coming back and infecting all of us and that's like an exaggeration of what's being said but there has been a lot of focus on like people are going for weddings people are going for funerals and like There are examples of that, but I think, you know, throughout, like, just as journalists who have been, like, working Mm. in this space and speaking to other journalists and the Mm. the people that we're hearing from, from India, have been trapped there for months, if not years, like, Mm. since the start of the pandemic. Some before the pandemic. Yeah, and, you know, trapped away from families. It's really hard to get a flight back into Australia. It's really impossible. It's also really hard to get out of Australia, to get a visa to leave Australia as well at the moment, to get clearance. And um, I don't know, I just wanted to point that out that there's I think we have to really be careful when you're in these situations that especially and I don't sort of say this lightly but like especially when we're talking about you know we're not talking about people from Norway coming in and infecting and you know we weren't talking about people from the UK coming in infecting when you're talking about non-white Australians who are trapped overseas and this sort of rhetoric about like they've been selfish and gone off to have a wedding and then come back and infecting all of us like I think we need to be extremely careful that this doesn't turn into a sort of xenophobic like oh no the foreigners are coming to get us sort of thing like and I think there has been elements of that rhetoric in the way that some people have been speaking about this this week. Yeah, absolutely. We haven't really seen that rhetoric when we've been talking about like people coming back in from America or celebrities coming in from overseas to well, Australia. The, the last time we saw that rhetoric was when we were talking about people from China right at the start yeah, of exactly. the pandemic, you exactly. know? We need to ask ourselves why is that the case and reflect on that. Yeah, and look, there, obviously there's differences with the strains, but like I think the cultural conversation around people from India coming in mm. is very different and I think it's fairly naive to pretend that like race hasn't played a part in that and hasn't played a part in how willing the public was to get on board with just banning all flights. What if God was one of us? Just a prime minister (laughs) like one of us. I don't think Scott Morrison is saying he's God. Just a liberal on the bus (laughs) trying to make his way home, but it's taking a while because there hasn't been significant investment in public transport for many a year. Yes, so indeed. This week we are talking about Scott Morrison and specifically how he went to a national conference of Christian churches last week and asked them to help him help Australia. By praying. By praying. And then suggested that he and his wife Jenny have been sent to complete the work of God in his prime ministership. Oh, 
bold it was very controversial (laughs) um before we even get into this topic though i think like it's important for us to acknowledge that we are not religious people no no i'm really nervous talking about this topic because i just don't want to offend anybody and i'm very conscious of the fact that like i don't want to impose my own well no i I think that's what we're going to be discussing which is like what happened was scott morrison said some very overtly religious stuff and everyone in australia felt a bit squeamish about it and I think there's legitimate and non-legitimate reasons for feeling squeamish about what happened over the weekend. Like, to be clear, Scott Morrison's made it very clear that this is a core part of his identity. So I feel like we have as much right to sort of analyse the way that that affects his leadership as sort of any other part of his identity, I guess. Totally. So with all that in mind, let's dive into the topic. So first up... Matilda, tell me, what was this conference? Why was Scott Morrison speaking at it? Yeah, so this is the Australian Christian Churches Conference. Now, you might think that sounds like all Christian churches. No, it's only all Pentecostal Christian churches. It's a congregation of them. So, you know, um, those like cool churches with like rock music and like big lights and everyone's like clapping and singing. Yes. That's them. Okay. Well, broad brush. Gotcha. Okay. So churches like Hillsong. Church is very much like Hillsong. In fact, Hillsong kind of has the market cornered when it comes to <laughs> Pentecostalism. There's other churches. In fact, Scott Morrison attends a different church. He attends a church called Horizon, which is a similar sort of network of churches. Okay. So why was Scott Morrison speaking and what did he say? So Scott Morrison's a Pentecostal dude. He's been very open about that. I'll get into examples in a second. But essentially he was asked to speak at this conference. He's you know, usually quite happy to go to religious events. He spoke at this conference and- He wa- goes to church like every week. Oh, he's a big church man. Yeah. he's been pho- and, and we know Frost that because it. he's been photographed like- Invited photographers into church. Yeah. So this wasn't like a public official press conference speech or anything like yeah. that. Yeah. So normally when the prime minister is giving a really important announcement or a really big speech, he'll his office will send like some lines or a copy of the speech to journalists ahead of time for them to write up. Um, he did not do that in this instance. No, and it's not like this, you know, that's particularly unusual, but it's it's to be clear, like he wasn't he was doing it publicly, but he wasn't advertising it to the nth degree or anything. Yeah. So what did he say? So he was saying, you know, that he felt like he was sent to do God's work. He also said that, you know, during his prime ministership, he he practiced this evangelical tradition called the laying on of hands. Mm-hmm. So that's essentially when you're sort of like holding someone and, you know, he was sort of saying like, looks like you're just hugging someone, but actually sort of holding them and praying for them. Um, he also said that he um, viewed the misuse of social media as the work of the evil one. Do you mean the devil? I do mean the devil, which Ugh. we don't often hear people talk, politicians talk about the devil directly. Um, And then he also went on this whole sort of speech talking about like during the election campaign, how he sort of like was visited by God and God told him to run. He said, the message I got that day was, Scott, you've got to run and not grow weary. You've got to walk now and not grow faint. You've got to spread your wings like an eagle to soar like an eagle. Um, So like, I think there was a bit of people being a bit uncomfortable with this idea that he kind of flipped the switch or, you know, revealed this whole different side of himself and and sort of saying that, like, I've been doing the laying of the hands during my work as prime minister, It's I think, and I've been doing the work of God all the time. I think people maybe were feeling a bit like, wait a second, has this all been religious the whole time? Did he think everything he was doing was religious and, like, imposing religion on the rest of us kind of thing? Yeah. 
But this isn't the first sort of religious moment from Scott Morrison. Can you walk me through uh, a part of this is the sort of history of his relationship Mm. to the Pentecostal church and to Hillsong. Can you walk me through that a bit? Yeah, it's interesting because Scott Morrison has had a pretty controversial few years of his faith like coming out and in particular people have been concerned about the diminishing separation between religion, specifically Scott Morrison's religion, and the state, meaning, you know, his role as prime minister and the government. So there are a few times that Scott Morrison allegedly or was perceived to get maybe a little bit too cosy. Blurring the lines. Blurring the lines with his Pentecostalism and in particular Hillsong. So Scott Morrison isn't a regular attendee at Hillsong, but he's he's a slightly different church, but he's very close with Hillsong. Yes. And so the first time that we saw this connection was in his maiden speech. So a maiden speech is when a politician makes their sort of debut. Their first ever speech in parliament. Yeah. Yeah. Um, So back when Scott Morrison delivered his first speech in parliament, he talked about how Brian Houston, the founder of Hillsong, is his spiritual mentor and and gave insight into the kind of influence that this man has over his life. And it's interesting because Brian Houston has uh, come up a few times in the last few years. Um, oh, I'm sure only positive stories about Mr. Hillsong. Yes. So Brian Houston has been mentioned a few times in the last several years in his in connection to Scott Morrison. So Back in 2019, Scott Morrison visited the United States and Brian Houston attended a White House event around the same time as part of that visit. So Brian Houston attended an official visit to the White House for something called a faith briefing with other religious leaders. And he made headlines because in this video after this faith briefing, he came out and said that he just had the chance to, quote, pray for Donald Trump. Another story that came out around this time, though, was that Scott Morrison had also tried to get the Trump administration to invite Brian Houston to this special state dinner at the White House. That Scott Morrison was also attending. Yes, yeah. a really big deal. Um, and he didn't go to the dinner, but the allegation was that Scott Morrison had tried really hard to get his spiritual leader at the table with Trump. Yeah, so the US papers had reported that this was this was like a real sort of like Morrison was pressing hard, the White House ended up vetoing it. Australian reporters at the time tried to ask Morrison about it. He's like, it's just gossip. I don't talk about gossip. Came back to Australia. He's like, I'm not concerning myself. A few months later, he's like, oh, yeah, I tried to invite him. And yeah. everyone's like, wait a second. On like second. a radio station like in March 2020, he's like, yeah, 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 yeah I did try yeah. to invite him. Yeah. I've, been, I've been, a journalist asked me and I was straight up. Sure, it was several months after yeah. <laughs> avoiding questions, but – To be clear, this isn't just controversial because Morrison wanted to bring like a spiritual advisor or something like that. Brian Houston is a controversial man in Mm. and of himself. Mm. So his name has come up a lot in recent years in the media in relation to the Royal Commission into Institutional Responses to Child Sex Abuse, uh, essentially in relation to his father, Frank Houston, who's also part of founding Hillsong. Um, There's no way to really sugarcoat this. There's essentially multiple allegations against now deceased Frank Houston, suggesting that he was involved in multiple instances of sexually abusing young boys many decades ago. But then there's a lot of questions around exactly what was disclosed to Brian Houston from his father, exactly when and what Brian Houston as then the leader of the Hillsong Church did about that because there are obligations to faith leaders when things are disclosed to them and there's 
No charges have been laid, but there was questions in the Royal Commission and then inquiries by New South Wales Police into exactly what Brian knew and when and exactly how forthcoming he was about that information to police. So to be clear, that's why this uh, this Trump meeting was so especially important, because this is a man that Scott Morrison has repeatedly held up as sort of a beacon of kind of moral virtue and an inspiration in his life. There have been a few other instances where Scott Morrison's religious affiliations and prime ministership have kind of blurred the lines. So back in 2019, uh, the Morrison government announced that it was allocating $55 million in community grants to upgrade security at various places of worship around the country, whether it be schools or churches. And one of the recipients of a grant uh, was Scott Morrison's very own church, Horizon Church. It was awarded $110,000 from this fund which was intended to help protect kids against risk of attack or harassment stemming from racial intolerance or religious intolerance. Like, okay, I shouldn't be, like, sighing. But if I, like, if I think about religious intolerance and violent attacks against people like Pentecostalism and white Christianity, <laughs> I'm like, scream at the top of the list. Um, but <laughs> There was also grants given to oh, like, the, Islamic schools and, and other churches, but this was controversial because it was like, oh, why is taxpayer money being going towards Scott Morrison's very own church in the form yeah. of this grant? It's one of those things you can easily argue like there's a totally reasonable explanation for this or if you are wanting to be cynical, you can look at this being like, oh, you know, it's one of those – there's a lot of stuff with Scotty and religion that, like, you can take one of two ways. He also regularly attends Hillsong conferences and events like this. Like, he's quite a regular participant at these things. Yeah, and back in 2019 he also made headlines because he told the opening session of Hillsong's annual conference that Australia needs more prayers and needs more love and, and that also kind of raised a few eyebrows um, as to why he was attending. Firstly, this, like – Hillsong, why is the Prime Minister attending a Hillsong annual conference? And secondly, why is he kind of involving them in his leadership of the country? Now, before we get into what the public reaction to this and, and how we feel about it, can we actually, let's just maybe run down what is this coalition government's actual history when it comes to religious freedoms and things like that? So we've heard Scott Morrison sort of like those individual things. As, as a broad brush, what's been the approach? So it's interesting. Like, I think what a lot of the hesitation and concern around this whole story comes down to is fear of a blurring of lines between religion and government. Now, where does the government actually stand on protecting religion and upholding religion? There's two sides to this. So on the one hand, there is the government's proposed Religious Discrimination Act. Now, this is a bill that's designed to protect people who uh, subscribe to a religion from receiving discrimination against that, similar to how the Sex Discrimination Act works or the Racial um, Vilification Act works. Essentially, it would be putting someone's religion as sort of like a protected sort of element of their identity that you're not allowed to uh, discriminate against them. Like in the same way that you can't fire someone from being gay, you wouldn't be able to fire someone from being Islamic or, you know, any other religion. Absolutely. Now, this was has been quite a controversial bill, but – it's not as bad as I think a lot of people think it is. Matilda, can you tell me the difference between the Religious Discrimination Act, which is what the government's proposing, and a religious freedoms bill? Yes. So remember before in the episode we talked about that kind of like 
very conservative collection of backbenchers that are part of the Liberal and the National Party. Yes. They didn't like this religious discrimination bill because they wanted a Religious Freedom Act. So rather than just making it that you can't discriminate against someone for being religious, they wanted specific positive religious freedoms to be sort of given to people of faith. I'll use the example, which is rugby player Israel Folau was sacked because he posted saying that gay people should go to hell. And that was his genuine belief, shitty belief as a Christian. (laughs) Um, And But he was sacked for it. And the conservative backbenchers were saying, like, it's not enough just to protect someone from religion. Someone has to be able to express their religious beliefs without persecution, even if that contravenes other elements of discrimination acts. So Israel Folau essentially should have been allowed to discriminate against queer people because it's within his faith is what they were arguing. Like that sounds really blunt when you say it like that, and it basically is. I'm not going back. That's what they wanted essentially, which is these extra protections for religious people. But back then the Attorney General said that the proposed religious discrimination bill was not going to venture into this like religious freedoms act territory. It was very much just going to be like all the other discrimination bills, like the sex discrimination the act. The front bench of the Liberal Party and National Party, which Scott Morrison obviously is a part of, is a lot more moderate than the group that was advocating for that. And like you mentioned before that conference where he said Australia needs more prayers, Australia, you know, needs God on our side. In that same speech, Scott Morrison actually said, look, the religious community is getting too focused on these rights and this law side of things like we don't need to venture into that. So Scott Morrison was also active in throwing water on that Religious Freedom Act and saying, like, Set, settle down, everyone. Like, yeah. <laughs> we, we've got it. We'll sort it. This pared down legislation is going to do enough. We're not doing an Israel out here. Yeah. And he said at that same Hillsong conference that he talks about his faith Um, quote, because I want everyone in this place to feel comfortable talking about faith in the country. It's not a political agenda. It's who we are. Yeah. His general stance has been that it needs to be more about like, if we want more God in Australia, it needs to be a cultural shift rather than a legal one. Yeah. Which, you know, people might still have a problem with, but for the record, like it hasn't been religious bill after religious bill after religious bill. So I think that brings us we've we've talked about him individually and his relationship to church. We've talked about the government and their relationship in in its entirety to religion and more specifically Christianity. Mm. So the other thing, I mean people were very interested in the specific line that he was doing God's work and I think a lot of people disagreed with that potentially given some mm. of policies. I feel like you could probably say that about most politicians, but Scott Morrison more than some. Can you tell me about that? Yeah, so there was definitely concern that Scott Morrison thought that he was doing the work of God when there is disagreement within the church about whether or not some of the things that he's done while he's been in office have actually reflected Christian principles. So um, quite a number of progressive Christians have come out online and said that, look, Scott Morrison's track record when it comes to human rights, particularly refugee rights, has been pretty problematic. Scott Morrison is the prime minister who uh, there was an article in the New York Times a few years ago. They went and profiled him in his office and he has a little statue of a boat on his desk and it says, I stopped these. Which is, of course, referring to asylum seekers coming to Australia via boat. And Scott Morrison used to be the immigration minister. And he had this very strong policy of like, if you come by boat, you are never touching down in Australia. And there's like a video that surfaced of him talking directly to asylum seekers, like a video that they would play to asylum seekers being like, if you don't leave this asylum camp and go back home where people are like, 
running for their lives. Um, you, you know, won't be allowed. They've left because they were to get killed. Um, that you will stay here in this detention centre for a very long time. And if you're settled anywhere, it will be somewhere else and it won't be Australia. Like real harsh stuff to be saying to someone who fled for their lives and arrived in a boat from across the sea. Yes, and Scott Morrison is very proud of that. Very statue proud. Yes, statue. He got himself a statue made up. He had to, like that's a bespoke statue. Like he's had to say to some staffer, like, "Get me that fucking statue." Yeah, it's not just and like, that staffer's gonna have to go to the store, and he's like, "Do you have a boat statue?" <laughs> and they're like, "No, we don't have a fucking boat statue. What the fuck? Why would we have that?" And they're like, "I want." I stopped these, and then the the statue guy's gonna have to sit there, like whittle it. They'll bring it back. I just like <laughs> the logistics of that, like him setting it on the desk, polishing. It and then having a photographer come and be like, look at my boat statue. That will stay out. Yes. <laughs> there was a lot of, it wasn't just like an accident, like whoopsie do. Like it's I, like Cronulla Sharks merch, Cronulla Sharks merch, statue about human rights, questionable <laughs> choices, Cronulla Sharks merch, Cronulla <laughs> Sharks merch. So what a number of more progressive Christians were saying online is that, look, this man, his actions don't reflect the religion that, I subscribe to don't reflect what I think the God I subscribe to would want him to be doing. So how can he get up on stage and say he's doing God's work and justify the things that he's done? Like that doesn't sit comfortably with me. Yeah. Like human rights abuses, not always top of the 10 commandments. Okay, before we wrap up today's show, we have a new segment that we want to introduce where we try and tell the future. You know, we don't want to leave you defenseless until the next podcast comes out. So we're going to run through a couple of the topics that like probably definitely will be coming up this next week, just so you can like keep an ear out for them. Yeah, when you're at, keep, when you're at brunch, you can it. be like, oh yeah, that thing coming up this week. Yeah, I know about that. Yeah. I know about it. And it will tide you over to the next podcast. What's the first thing coming up? So the first thing is that we will be seeing the federal budget dropping in the next two weeks. Oh, the federal budget. It's like a budget for the federals. Yeah, it keeps track of all of the income they've made and how they're predicting they're going to spend it over the next financial year. Yeah, so you like hear about a lot of projects that they're doing. You hear about essentially what the government's priorities are. Yes, and that's coming out on Tuesday, May 11th in two weeks' time. Now, you might be saying that's two weeks' time. That's not one week time. Next week, all anyone's going to be talking about is a budget. From here on out, it's budget time, baby. There's a lot of conversations about what the government will be funding, what the government should be funding, and it's looking like the government, you know, is actually going to be funding a lot of projects around job creation. Yeah. Liberals love to cut funding, but this time they're like, eh, maybe we'll help people out of the pandemic for a bit just, longer. Just a bit long. We're not quite out of the woods yet. There, yeah, we've summarized it. Jobs, jobs, jobs. That's what the Liberal government is going to be trying to deliver in this year's federal budget. So if anyone asks you, that's what their priority is. And so what's happening literally tomorrow or today if people are listening on Friday? Yeah. So if you're listening to the podcast on Friday, the day it's released, uh, Scott Morrison is going to be meeting with Brittany Higgins. Now, Brittany Higgins is a former Liberal Party staff member and she rose to prominence in the media earlier this year when she came out with really horrific allegations against a former Liberal colleague of hers who another staffer not a politician no another staffer who she alleges uh sexually assaulted and raped her in parliament house in linda reynolds the former defense minister's office and she's been calling and advocates and the media have been calling for scott morrison to meet with her ever since she made these allegations essentially her allegations were 
not only that this happened, but that the government kind of was a bit chicken shit afterwards and like didn't deal with this no, case properly. Didn't, deal with the didn't give to, her like, the proper sweep support. Sweep it under the rug. You know, she felt like she had to choose between kind of pursuing things further and getting justice and keeping her job, essentially. Yes. And so Scott Morrison, for the first time since these allegations came out, is going to meet with Britney. And that comes after him agreeing to meet with her, like, in an interview, being like, oh, I'd meet with Britney, and then Britney reaching out and then, like, hearing nothing. Not hearing anything for (laughs) a long time. They're meeting in Sydney on Friday, and so that will be interesting to see what comes out of that. And I think people are wanting Scott Morrison to come out of that with, like, concrete ideas of what's going to get fixed and I think that that is not necessarily what's going to happen. Well, we'll see. We'll see. You never know. If you're listening to this podcast, then that, the news is probably already broken so you can... Yeah, actually, you tell us. Yeah, Go you on. tell us. You can yeah. DM us on Instagram. Just leave us one emoji that describes how you're feeling about this extremely complex topic. Speaking <laughs> Summarize of- it in one emoji. Speaking of things on a bit of a smaller scale, what's going on in good old Tassie down under? Yes, so on Saturday, the day after this podcast is being released the tasmanian state election is happening and that's we're finishing it there no one cares about tassie (laughs) (laughs) no the state election is happening um the liberal they were they were forced into an election well some say forced. some say very opportunistically called an early election they had to call an early election because they lost one of their seats they remember when we were talking about being it being shitty being in minority government this is what happens people they became in minority government so they called the election 10 months early does it have anything to do with the fact that the opposition leader the head of labor is like very pregnant and about to deliver soon about to deliver might make voters a little bit more anxious does it have anything to do with the like governments that sort of helped states through COVID are really popular at the moment, but then the federal government who are liberals are losing popularity and that might trickle down into states. Who knows? Probably not. Sounds like they were forced into it. But the election will be on Saturday. Yeah. 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 Gutwin versus Rebecca White. The Baldy versus the Prego. We'll see who wins. <laughs> That's all we have time for this week. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. And once again, if you're new to this podcast, you can find us online on Instagram at Old Boys Club Pod, on Twitter at Old Boys Club Pod, or join our Facebook community. Oh, Old Boys Club Podcast Facebook community, community, Facebook, Old Boys Club community, group chatting. Facebook group on Facebook podcast or boys club community. Old boys club podcast community. That's the one. That's the one. Or email us. Which I ch- I checked the email this week. Did you? Yeah, I logged on and everything. It's just been me checking it. Um, it's oldboysclubpod at gmail.com. And if you're listening to this, for God's sake, take a bloody screenshot and put it on your Instagram story. <laughs> Leave us a review, or I will. You've threatened to go to the forest and disappear forever last week. I'll just cry. Like, <laughs> I don't I don't just have anything. Really to ho- like, I'll stick around. I got to see if the baldy wins. But, like. <laughs> um, and if you did shout us out, we really quickly want to shout you out. We have Liz, Hannah, Miriam, Alicia, Catherine, Maddie, Courtney, Amy, Mags, Tavlene, Ruby, Dylan, Bridie, Jasmine, Lauren, Joe, Tian, um, Lauren, Emily, Nadine, Emma, Ashida, Shannon, Nikki, Sanon, and Lara. Oh, I love you all, and I will give you all my firstborn child. <laughs> 
just like a tone oh, voice. Our show is produced by Alex Ty and Anthony Furchie. Mixing and editing by Alex Ty. Our music is by the brilliant Alexis Weaver. I'm Justine Landis-Hanley. I'm Matilda Bosley. And this is Old Boys Club. Club. It's not a mega church, but one day we'll get those numbers. Oh, <laughs>